Well, this morning I wanted to um, begin by having us think about um, the different things that we do to uh, make ourselves presentable to one another. <laughs> you know, uh, think about how we want to be uh, presentable, acceptable, um, desirable to other people. You know, think about all the things that we do to uh, present ourselves, all the things that we uh, stop doing so that we'll be unpresentable. Uh, Think about all the ways in which we try to make ourselves acceptable, all the way to little things like, you know, your parents teaching you the right way to uh, handle a fork. So, uh, you know, if somebody that you're eating with uh, sees you grabbing a fork like this and going like that, they're not off-put by uh, that way of handling a fork. Uh, all kinds of ways in which we um, uh, teach our children and teach ourselves to uh, conduct ourselves so that we'll be acceptable, the way we speak, the grammar that we use. Uh, how, how to balance a conversation. You know, this is one thing my dad spent time t- teaching me, and I'm not always that good at it, you know, not to interrupt and to ask the right questions and to engage uh, somebody and what they're thinking about. And, you know, still my wife will elbow me saying, you're interrupting, you know. <laughs> we, we're, we're taught different things on how to dress and how to act. We, there's different mores and social rules. The conduct really is endless, you know, on different things. Uh, several months ago, my wife leaned over and said, you know, yeah, that coffee, that coffee breath that you have this morning is not really all that great. So ever since then, I've been you know, bringing one of these things to church just so that uh, little things don't put, put, put off uh, other people. Uh, from bad breath to armed robbery, uh, you know, there are countless ways that uh, we make ourselves unacceptable to other people. And, uh, you know, these countless uh, ways lead to all kinds of laws and rules and mores, which define, you know, human conduct in a way that we find acceptable. Uh, why? Because we are social beings. We're social beings uh, that need the approval of others. Well, why do we even care? You know, if you're doing something embarrassing and a stranger sees you, you care. Why? Why do, you, why do we even care? Why do we care about uh, being acceptable to other people, especially complete strangers? Well, you know, think about it for a second. The less people care, about being acceptable to other people, uh, the more vulgar, in fact, even criminal, our culture uh, becomes. Uh, the other day, this past week, I was uh, in the store, and I saw some two teenage girls in the store, and they came into the store in their pajamas. Now, they were not immodestly dressed. Their pajamas were, you know, those felt pajamas. Is that right, felt? or the, Huh? Flannel, flannel pajamas, yeah, not felt. Flannel, flannel pajamas, you know, they were, you know, probably, they're completely covered up, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't help but thinking how embarrassed I would be to walk into a store in my pajamas, uh, that it wouldn't just be a way to be acceptable to other people. Our behavior, um, as, uh, we, we could say that as our behavior degrades, the less we care about being acceptable, the less we care about being polite, the more we're unconcerned about being rude, uh, the less we want to be helpful, the more we want to be pushy, the uh, more um, our culture becomes um, disordered. If we should um, you know, regard being acceptable to other people, the key question I really want to ask today is 
how much should we care about being acceptable to God? If being acceptable to other people is important, what about our attitude about God? How important is it for us to please God, to be acceptable to God, to be, uh, act in such a way that he isn't put off by us? And how does our desire or lack of desire to please God affect the development of our character, of who we are? How, 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 are, uh, how is the outcome of our life affected by our attitude towards whether or not we want to be acceptable to God or to please God. As we continue in our series entitled Knocking on Heaven's Door, A Biblical History of Sacrifice, um, we're going to be looking at today the purpose of the sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus. We've gone for four weeks now on the history of sacrifice leading up to the time in which there's actually an instituted system or laws for sacrifice that are established in Israel as they are wandering in the, in, the, in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And we're going to begin this today by looking at that sacrificial system that was established by God. And we're going to begin by just looking at the overall reason why it is that God wanted his people to enter into sacrificial laws. Uh, what was his purpose in giving men um, uh, this sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus? Well, the purpose was to bring men into a condition where they could be acceptable in the presence of God. And why should we care about whether or not we're acceptable to God? Well, there are four self-evident truths that if all of these are true, then being acceptable to God should be a primary concern in our lives. Here are the four self-evident truths. The first self-evident truth is that God exists. The second self-evident truth is that God is personal. The third self-evident truth is that God created man to love him and to have fellowship with him. And the fourth self-evident truth is that God is accountable to, man is accountable to God for his responsiveness or lack of responsiveness to him. For anyone that recognizes these four self-evident truths, there is nothing more important than having a good standing in the presence of God. If God exists, if God is pers- a personal God, if, if uh, God created us to have a relationship with him, and if we're accountable to how we relate to him, then there's really nothing more important in our lives than how we affect God and, how, uh, and if we're acceptable to him. Think about it this way. If God didn't exist, it doesn't matter whether, how, how we affect him. If God's not personal, if he's impersonal, if he's an Eastern notion of God, well, what difference does it make what we do? He's just energy. It doesn't matter. We can't offend him. He's energy. Uh, so if he's non, non-personal, it doesn't matter. If God didn't create us to be in a relationship with him, then what difference does it make how we affect him? He could, he's, he's distant. He doesn't care. He's not interested uh, if, if, he's not, if he didn't create us to have a relationship with him. And if we're not accountable, if we're not accountable to how we relate to God, what difference does it make if we um, affect him positively or not, or if we please him? But if these four things are true, which they are, they're self-evidently true, uh, any, anybody that even begins to look at reality as it is and, and examine just both uh, his revelation through his word, but even just his revelation through creation, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that, that these truths are self-evident about God just by looking at what he's made. 
if, you, if any honest man truthfully sees that these truths are self-evident, then the, the question of how, how do I affect God, am I acceptable to God, becomes a central question of our lives. If we recognize these self-evident truths, any honest man also recognizes that human history uh, is a history in which largely men have said no to God and not sought to please Him. And instead of worshiping God and adoring God, they instead worship and adore the things that God created and reject God Himself. Uh, God calls this response to Him idolatry. And one could argue that every sin that we commit is some form of idolatry. It's some form of uh, misplacing our trust and our worship onto something that God created rather than on God Himself. How does an idolatrous people become acceptable to God? That's the question uh, that we are asking this morning. How does an idolatrous people become acceptable to God? How does man return to God's embrace after betraying him? The amazing thing about God is that he wants us. That's the amazing thing about God. He wants us. He wants us. He wants us and he desires to have fellowship with us. And as we look at the sacrificial system that he gave to Israel, we discover what is necessary to gain God's acceptance and experience his love and his fellowship. Do we care if we please God? How does our concern, our lack of concern, for God's approval affect our character and our behavior? As we ask those questions, let's look this morning at Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. And the, the message is entitled this morning, Becoming Holy. Pray with me, if you would, uh, before we read God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we honor your Word this day. And we thank you that it's been given as a light to our eyes, a revelation to our mind, a, a way of understanding you and understanding ourselves in light of you. And Father, this is a powerful verse, that this idea that we are to be holy because you are holy. That it is by your very nature that dictates what we ought to be. And you've made a means for us to go from where we are to where we ought to be. That's so awesome, Lord, that you have made a way for us to come home. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. We just pray, Father, that you'd bless the reading of your word this morning, and may we be lifted by you and by your holy nature. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 reads, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now the background here is that Israel's living in the wilderness as nomads. They've um, been delivered out of their 400 years of oppression in Egypt and slavery in Egypt. And they're experiencing the miraculous provision of God in the desert, the manna, the water out of the rocks, all the things. Their, their, their clothes aren't wearing out. Their sandals aren't wearing out. Uh, God um, here has instructed them on plans to build a tabernacle, a portable tent that they take with them as a place of worshiping God. And, um, and having given them the plans for this tabernacle and them having built this tabernacle, then God tells them how to approach him 
in his temple through the sacrificial system. So we see here, uh, here, here here's Israel, picture of Israel in the desert. They're all camped around this uh, portable temple or tabernacle. And um, at the, in the, in the outer courtyard, you see an altar. And inside the inside tent is everything all the way to the Holy of Holies, which represents the very presence of God. And uh, the Levitical system is the system of sacrifices necessary to appropriately approach God and to be acceptable to God. And in, those, in that sacrificial system, we see the elements of what it takes to become acceptable to a holy God. Um, so the, sacrifice, the sacrifices that were necessary uh, to approach God, uh, uh, to become acceptable uh, in, in the eyes of God, are a way for us to see what is necessary for us to approach God as well. Um, you know, as we look at the purpose and the function of the sacrificial laws in Leviticus, we can understand what it takes to become acceptable to God. Um, holiness is what it takes. What is holiness? Holiness is what it takes to be acceptable to God. It's what it takes to please God. Holiness is being clean. Holiness is being undefiled. Holiness is being perfected in Christ. Holiness is going from a state of being broken to a state of being whole. Holiness is a state going from a state of being wicked to a state of being righteous. Holiness is a state of going from being arrogant to a state of being humble. Holiness is going from being selfish to being loving and generous. Holiness is going from being spiritually dead to becoming spiritually alive and animated in Christ. Holiness is all these things. If we want to be with God, if we want God's approval, uh, we want to enter into His presence His way. Uh, and that way can be understood through the sacrificial system that He established for these Hebrew people in the wilderness and gave them to Moses, and they are written in the book of Leviticus. Now we know from the New Testament perspective that the sacrificial system that the Hebrew people were, you know, was given wasn't truly sufficient to make men perfect. Uh, it was not able to actually accomplish the cleansing necessary. Uh, this is what Hebrews chapter 11 says. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, uh, for on the basis of the law, uh, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, uh, not in the order of Aaron? So we see that the sacrificial system was more of a, a precursor to what would actually be able to cleanse the soul of man and make him holy. Uh, it was a picture uh, to help us understand what it takes to become holy. Uh, the theme this morning is this. Our holy God desires a holy people. Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2 again. Our holy God desires a holy people. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the book of Leviticus, two main ideas pop out. When we look at the overall theme of this book, two main ideas pop out. One is that God desires to have a people that he can devote himself to, and 
he also desires a holy people that will devote themselves to him. And in order for that to be possible, he establishes a means by which fallen man can, can approach him and become cleansed in order to have fellowship with him. We were created by God as an expression of his personhood. That is that he's personal. And God created you. And he created me to be the personal objects of his love. But he also created us to have him as the object of our love. What is the biggest problem to this reciprocal relationship that God desires to be in with man? Well, the big problem is, is that God is holy and we are not. That's the big problem. The big problem to this reciprocal loving relationship is that to be holy is to be repulsed by what is unholy. Unholiness is repulsive to holiness. And conversely, holiness is repulsive to unholiness. The whole, if you're holy, you're going to be repulsed by what's unholy. And if you're unholy, you're going to be repulsed by what is holy. It's kind of like this magnet here. If, you're, if the natures don't line up, uh, they're repulsive. Like the repulsive power of a magnet, if it's not in the proper uh, alignment, is stronger than gravity, as you can see by this illustration here. There's just a repulsion. And there's just this natural repulsion between the holy and the unholy. There, it's, it's, it's almost like a law of nature. Um, you know, have you ever noticed that people who are really unhealthy don't like going to healthy people for a counsel? People who are really unhealthy don't really want to hear uh, healthy or truthful counsel. They'd rather go to people who will tell them uh, or comfort them in their unholiness. Are on, are the, and the word unhealthy and unholy are synonymous terms. Unhealthy physically, unhealthy spiritually, unhealthy um, mentally, that's unholy. It's the same thing. Healthy and holy are the same thing. Being healthy and holy are the same. Being unhealthy and unholy are the same. And it just seems like um, that unhealthiness is repelled by healthiness and vice versa. As long as God is holy and we are holy and we are unholy, repulsion will exist and communion will be in, impossible. Uh, several years ago, I was in Stater Brothers and this homeless guy came in who was so stinky that he would be repulsive to all the other homeless in the population. I didn't get within a hundred feet of this guy and I could smell him. The whole place could smell him. You could see everyone in the store turning. He had this, he had this, um, this kind of this poncho around him and, and he was so uh, repulsive in his smell, you just saw people scattering. And I, I didn't watch, watch to wait, but I was wondering what it would be like to be the, the person at the checkout counter as he went through, you know. It, it just, his smell was so bad that there's no way you could acceptably enter into his presence until after he had a bath or after he was clean. And... Uh, 
I mean, it's a visceral reaction. You couldn't help yourself. There's just no way you could, you could be comfortable in his presence because it, his smell was so, so pungent. He, he, had, he would have to be clean before he would not be repulsive. God is holy, and he's going to stay holy. Uh, and in order to come into his presence without being repulsive to him, we need to be cleansed, and we need to be purified. We need to be brought into, at least under his point of view, perfected. Christ provides, and God provides through Christ, the process in which his people Israel can come into his presence. What we see in the sacrificial system is a means of cleansing by which man is uh, ceremonially cleansed and their sin is, um, is, uh, is substitutionarily uh, removed as a result of this transference of guilt uh, to an unblemished animal. The sacrificial system uh, gives us a process and this is the process of the sacrificial system. We're going to be looking at this process uh, more in the next couple weeks. But today we just want to give an overview of, of Leviticus. But the process of, of the sacrificial system that brings us into God's presence and makes us acceptable to him is this. Uh, first we see um, uh, sacrifices that have the purpose of cleansing us, to making us clean. Uh, then we have sacrifices that are an expression of our devotion to God, and we have sacrifices where we enter into fellowship with God and with the rest of the community. And that's what we're going to see in the sacrificial system is this process that goes from cleansing to devotion to fellowship. Um, and we'll, we'll see how the different sacrifices given in Leviticus follow that progression. We'll start that next week. But for this week, the theme is, just a simple idea that our, our, our holy God desires a holy people. Our, our, um, our holy God desires a holy people. And point number one is this. God provides a means for sinful men to become holy. God provides a means for sinful men to become holy. Uh, again, looking at verse 2, it says this. Um, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because... I, the Lord your God, am holy. So he's commanding them to become holy, and the reason for his command is because he is holy. He's commanding them to become clean, to become good, to become whole, to become healthy, to become functional, to be able to operate in accordance with their design. If, if holiness and unholiness is still something that you know, you're struggling to grasp, I have a few pictures here. <clears throat> this is a picture of a brand new car right off the assembly line with zero miles on it and it's completely functional. There's nothing wrong with it. You could say it's whole. And here in comparison to that is a picture of cars that are all junk. Junk cars that can't roll another mile. This is unholy. <laughs> this is holy. What I'm saying by that is, holy is when we are, are, everything about us is what we ought to be, and unholy is when we're less than what we ought to be. I suppose you could still find some good operational parts on those cars that are on the, on the, uh, on the uh, trailer there. There might be some good brakes in there, there might be a good transmission, there might be still some functional parts, but you know, the cars themselves are unholy because they're less than what they ought to be. 
and they're not functioning up to the capacity of what they could. And all, uh, uh, you know, can an unholy man, can we go from an unholy state to a holy state? Uh, further, can we do anything to make ourselves holy? The answer is no. We can't do anything to make ourselves holy, no more than one of these junk cars could restore itself. But God provides a ceremonial cleansing through sacrifice. Now, as we mentioned, the New Testament says that these uh, sacrifices that he gave to the Hebrew people aren't truly sufficient to cleanse them, to make them holy. But they nevertheless were functional in that God viewed them as holy as a result of their entering into the sacrificial system. Now, let me try to um, give you an illustration of how that works. When you go to the store and you purchase some clothes with your credit card, you, you can wear those clothes that very next day, but they haven't truly been sufficiently paid for yet. And in the sacrificial system, it's like a credit card. The Hebrew people were ceremonially clean, and God looked at them as though they were clothed and though they were holy. But the price that was paid for that clothing, for that covering, uh, was yet to have been paid, but it was going to be paid by Christ. Eventually, there's a reconciliation with the credit card, and you've got to pay the price, even though you have the stuff ahead of time. And here, I think, is the way we can look at this, uh, the, the ceremonial cleansing that the Hebrew people uh, experienced as a result of the Levitical sacrifices, that they were truly clothed in the eyes of God because the price was later going to be paid, paid by Christ. So that they were able to enter into the temple. They were able to enter into his presence. They were able to have him in their midst, a holy God. They were able to be a, his people because of the sacrifices that uh, would later be realized through the death of Christ on the cross. Israel's ceremonial cleansing um, was covered by the scapegoats that they sacrificed, but the price was actually paid on the cross. Now, when we apply that to ourselves, we're no longer living on the credit card side of things. We're living on the side of the gift card. Now, have you ever wondered uh, how many gift cards get given at Christmas that never get redeemed? Maybe get lost in somebody's billfold or get dropped out or never get fully redeemed. You have the gift card. It's in your possession, but you never, ever fully redeem it. Well, Christ gave his life as a gift to the world for redemption to be realized through him. But not everyone redeems it. Some gift cards go unredeemed. Jesus paid for the cleansing of the whole world, but only those who enter into uh, his redemption through faith uh, realize the benefit of it. If you, if you have a gift card to, uh, say, the Olive Garden, and it sits on your dresser for the next 10 years and never gets redeemed, it's already paid for, but it's never redeemed. And it's the same way with the gift of redemption that Christ gives us for the cleansing that's necessary for us to enter into and become holy. Uh, if Once we enter into and humbly submit ourselves in faith, 
we're in the process of being sanctified as we submit ourselves to the truth of his word, as we read and as we pray and as we yield ourselves to him, we're being cleansed. Just our faith in the death of Christ in our behalf is a purifying, has a purifying effect on our character. When we start believing the truth of God's scripture and stop believing the lies of, of, of this world and the deceptions that would lead us away from him, uh, we, we are being cleansed. Um, we're experiencing the benefits of the gift. Again this morning, our holy God, the theme is our holy God desires a holy people. Point number one is God provides a means for sinful men to become holy. And point number two is we must become holy to be acceptable to God. Uh, again, verse 2 says, um, Be holy because... I, the Lord your God, am holy. Become holy because I am holy. Uh, it is a, a necessity for us to become holy because God himself is holy. Because God is hel- and God, God's holiness is what makes our unholiness repulsive. Uh, there, there isn't any way that we can have fellowship with God without becoming holy because God's not going to change and become unholy so we can have fellowship with him. You know, there's just things that, uh, you know, that we're not willing to do when we're with our dogs. And there's things that God isn't willing to do when he's with us. For example, when you're walking your dog, suppose both of you are thirsty. And your dog comes across an old muddy puddle. You're not going to get down, I don't care how thirsty you are, and drink with the dog in the puddle. Right? We indulge, we indulge in things that God finds repulsive, and he's not going to join us in him because he is holy and it's unacceptable to him. Should God relax his standards? Should God relax? I suppose if God wanted to really be with us, why doesn't he just, you know, lighten up and just, you know, become a little unholy so he can be with us, so we can be comfortable with him? I want to I take you through a little thought exercise here. You know, one of the things that we see in our culture is a dumbing down of education, and that's really seen in the uh, area of, of spelling and grammar. And the idea is, you know, we need to reduce our standards so that uh, people will, will be more comfortable. They won't be confronted with the answer, you're wrong. Well, what do you think of this sentence here? I jump off my, I, oh, I, shoot, I, it should be easy. I jumped off my roof. Uh, if, no, if I jump off my roof, I might break some bones. Uh, is anyone at all offended by that sentence? Or anything bother you about that sentence? Breaks, breaks misspelled. I mean, you know, if you, uh, the word breaks misspelled. Well, what's the big deal? You know what I mean by it. Lighten up. Don't, don't worry about the standard. Uh, if I jump off my roof, I might break some bones. Well, the, the word literally means that there is a stopping device uh, on my bones as I'm falling down. Do I really want to say that? Uh, do I want to reduce the standard so that, uh, you know, everyone understands what I mean anyway? Or should I insist that it be spelled instead of, uh, you know, B-R-A-K-E, should I insist that it be spelled B-R-E-A-K so that the meaning is correct? You know, like the arguments um, for creative spelling in school today, many think God should lighten up his standards. 
It's not going to happen. He's already said no to that. He is holy. And therefore, because he is holy, we are to become holy. And gratefully, he has provided the means through which we can become holy through Christ Jesus and through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we stand cleansed before God and in the eyes of God. And as we invite the Spirit of the living God to live in us, the Spirit of Christ who came to teach us, we are actually being changed from who we are to what we are to become. And as we're being changed from who we are to what we ought to become, God sees us as holy. And we're able to be covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that we can stand in the arms of our loving God. We can be in his embrace. He is not repulsed by us because his son died for us. Our holy God desires a holy people. Point number one is God provides a means for sinful men to become holy. Point number two is We must become holy to be acceptable to God. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 8 through 14, which says this. Beginning at verse 10, excuse me, beginning at verse 8, chapter 10 of Hebrews, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has been made perfect forever is in the past tense. It's a completed action. He has, been made, he has made perfect forever those who are in the next classification or, 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 um, or the next phrase. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that's a present ongoing action. He looks at us as already perfect as we are being perfected in Christ. For those who are in the process of being, going from where we are to where we ought to be, God already sees us as perfect in Christ. He has made perfect, past tense, those who are being made holy, present ongoing action. So when you say, I can't, I can't enter into the presence of God because I'm aware of sin in my life, That's not the right thing to be aware of. Are you aware of the Holy Spirit in your life? 
if you're aware of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are being made holy. You're being, you're in the process. Are you aware of the Word of God affecting your life? Are you aware of the truth of God changing you uh, over time, maybe slowly, maybe incrementally, maybe up and down, maybe not perfectly, maybe you, you did something this week you haven't done for 10 years. But if you're being if you're in God's workshop and the Spirit of Christ is in you and you are being changed, you are already perfect in the eyes of God and able to enter into His embrace. Pretty awesome. All I, all I have just is one thing to say. There's only one thing I have to say to that. I love you, Jesus! I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. What a relief it is to know that I can enter into the throne room of God in, in the knowledge of my imperfections and know that you see me as perfect already and that you're sure that the work is going to be done right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We come before you, Lord Jesus, and just thank you that by one sacrifice you have made us perfect because we are among those by faith who are being made holy. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.